Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in the New Testament book of Ephesians this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just remind you again, if you uh, do not have a copy of God's Word with you, I pray that you'd either look off someone maybe near you, or uh, if you have a device that maybe you have, uh, you use quite often your phone, iPad, something like that, uh, you can download our church app, North Goodland BC, in your app store, uh, either Google or Apple. And on our app, there is a Bible feature. You can get it that way. Or when you leave today, uh, we would love to give you a copy of God's Word. And so if you don't have a Bible, um, you don't need to feel weird about that or feel awkward about that. Um, I, I totally understand. Uh, when you go to the Welcome Center, when you leave today, they will give you a copy of God's Word uh, just so you can have that with you. And so, but however you want to get into God's Word this morning, we pray that we can get into His Word together uh, because that is where we're going to find the true hope that we're going to talk about this morning, the true peace that comes in that relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that He loved us like He loves us. Amen. Uh, I'm so thankful that He is that peace and that hope that we can lean on. Um, and, and listen, sometimes in life, things don't go the way we want them to go. Um, all of us have had experiences where things didn't go the way we thought it should or would or could go. Uh, we've prayed, we cried out to God, we asked him to do something different than what he actually allowed to have take place. And uh, I have to echo what Andrew sang this morning. Uh, we, will, we will believe and trust that he can do all things. But if he sovereignly chooses to do something else, we're going to trust him anyway. We're going to believe anyway, and we're going to have our faith and trust in him. We're going to praise him anyway. And so uh, God is so good in that he teaches us so many great lessons through the course of a week and through the course of just even this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, he kind of impressed on my heart that I really wanted to spend time this morning. Uh, many of you know we were in a series uh, that we finished up at the end of September uh, called Conversations with God. And so if you're interested in that series, you can get that on our app or website as well. Uh, but we went through all kinds of topics asking the question, what would God say about these things? What would God say about politics? What would God say about church, about prayer, about all kinds of things? And we finished up that series. I kind of felt as we're coming to the end of that series, man, Lord, you've really been impressing on my heart. We need to spend some time just praising you and just enjoying the blessings that you give unto us. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get caught up in all the stuff that's going on around us and we can start to think that maybe God really isn't blessing. Maybe God really isn't that good. Maybe God really is kind of uh, limited by what we see around us today. And so I was already kind of praying about this and like, okay, Lord, what would we do? How would I do that? How would we spend some time just worshiping you and the blessings that you give to us? And this last week, I was going into the beginning of the week, like, okay, I, I know what we're going to do. And I kind of had a, an idea of where God would lead us. And then like what normally happens, this week I got some information that wasn't life-shattering. It wasn't, you know, life or death kind of stuff. But I got some news this week for us individually as a family that wasn't great. It was just a little discouraging, kind of disappointing news. Wasn't what we hoped would happen in the situation that was going on. And so like it's, it's just in life this way, it happens this way rather, here I am preparing a message for talking about the blessings of God and how good God is. And the very week that I'm writing that message, guess what happens in my life? Something that I don't define as good. Something that disappointed me and disappointed Sandra was discouraging, not good news. And I'm so thankful that God impressed on my heart two weeks ago or a couple weeks ago to start thinking about the blessings of God so that my heart and my mind would be ready for that news that I didn't want to hear. You guys get where I'm going with this? God is so good. Don't ever think for a moment that God wastes those times that he moves in your life and he begins to prompt you to think on certain things or you're in a passage of scripture. You ever been reading a verse of scripture and you're reading through your daily 
quiet time, your time of devotion, and you read through a passage and you're like, Lord, I know what that means. Like, I understand the text, but I don't get how it applies to my life right now. And then a couple weeks go by. Anybody feel this? Anybody been here? A couple weeks go by. And something happens. You get that phone call. You get that news. You get that information that you really didn't want to hear. You weren't really sure what was next. You weren't even sure what was coming next in that, in that situation, that relationship. And then you go, Lord, you're so good. Because I remember that passage you had me read two weeks ago. And now I see how, God, you are prepping me. You are preparing me. Now, here's the reality. Does that take away the moment of pain in that moment? No. It still hurts. It's still tough. It's still hard. But I'm so thankful that this morning we can come together and praise him and sing blessing to him. Man, we worshiped God this morning because he speaks new life into us. Amen. We were dry, dead, worthless bones in our sin and in our shame. We're not going to go into it, but Ephesians 2 talks about our state before Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and shame. It wasn't, it wasn't we were sick and sort of unable to do anything for our good. It wasn't we brought 50% of the, to the table and God brought the other 50%. It was, no, no, you're dead. You're dead. Let me ask you a question. What did Lazarus do to raise himself from the dead? He depended on the word of God to speak life into him. And in the same way, we come to God empty-handed in our sin and shame and go, God, I got nothing. All I can bring you is, is failure. All I can bring you is sin. And God looks at that and says, if you come with an open heart, receiving the grace that I'm giving unto you, repent of that sin, I will give you new life and make you a new creature. I will save you and redeem you for my glory, he says. See, it's so amazing when we stop letting the media, stop letting the culture, stop letting even others at times influence into thinking how good or ungood God is. Is ungood a word? It is now. It's canned. It's done. Write that down. Okay? It's going in the dictionary. I've heard tons of words that I'm like, there's no way that's a word. And then Sandra's like, no, it's a word. And I look it up and it's a word. And it's usually when we're playing a word game that she's killing me in. And I'm like, you've got to be, that's not a word. She's like, look it up. I'm like, no, no, she says, look it up. That's the confidence that I know I'm wrong and she's right. So I just go, okay, I concede. You guys ever play that game, Bananagram? Bananagrams? Anybody a fan of that game? Okay, you're all weird. Okay, I don't understand you. There's nothing fun about that game. It's spelling for fun. Who does that? I'm like, can we play Candyland or like, you know, Shoots and Ladders? Because that's, that's a fun game. Okay. When we think about this, though, man, life is full of unexpected things. And when that happens and we start hearing all this information, if we're not careful. Now, I'm not saying we put our heads in the sand. That's the one thing people will say. Well, you're just putting your head in the sand, brother. No, I'm very aware of what's going on, but I'm also very aware of how good my God is and how he is sitting on his throne and he is not shaken. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we start to unintentionally forget the blessings of God. And so we stop praising him for the good things. We stop thinking on the good things. We stop dwelling on the good things. And we start dwelling on all this other stuff. And next thing you know, we're drifting away from that intimate relationship that he wants for us. And we're filling our head with all these fears and worries and confusion. And then we're wondering why we're stressed all the time and we have no peace. Because you've, you've walked away from that intimate relationship where he says, I will fill you with peace. And so this morning, what I want to do is we're going to look in Ephesians and we're going to talk about how good God is and how blessed we are, not because we're worthy of blessing, but because he is good and loving to us. Ephesians 1 in verse 3 
We're going to start there because the reality is, as I've already said, we are blessed beyond belief. Blessed beyond belief. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. We're going to read a lot of verses from Ephesians 1. We're just going to kind of pick and hit a couple and then move down and hit and read a couple more. So obviously, as I always do, I encourage you to read this week, maybe, the book of Ephesians, to read through there and get the full idea of what Paul is saying here to the church. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I know Pastor Greg prayed already, but let's pray and ask God to seal these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we want you to speak to us this morning. We don't want to hear man's words or opinions. We want to hear your word. And I pray that's what would happen. I pray that we would have open hearts and minds. Lord, I don't know what anyone in this room is going through. I really don't, Lord. I don't know their heart. There might be someone in this room right now, Lord, that know you as Savior, that have an active, growing relationship in you. They are just praising you 24-7. It just seems like you've just got them in a season right now, Lord, where they're just, they're just reacting in praise. They're just so excited to lift you up and to focus on you and to get into your word. Thank you for them. Thank you for that season they're in because they get to be an encouragement to us or to anyone that maybe isn't in that season right now. And so, Father, for the ones that are just in a a time of just great joy before you, for the ones, Lord, that are in a time of confusion and stress, Lord, they just don't know which way to turn. Uh, They feel like there's just a lot of things happening in their lives right now, and they're not sure what's next. Father, I pray that they would know that you are good, that you have a purpose and a plan in all things, even though we don't understand that you are working in the situation for your glory and our blessing. And so, Father, we know that you can change circumstances. We know that you can move mountains. But, Father, as I was already saying, even if you don't, even if you don't, we're going to know that you are good. Because, Father, this isn't about us. This is about you. And so I pray that we would know that we are blessed today, and I pray that we would praise you because of it. We would get excited about that. We would be real with you and honest with you when we go through seasons of storm. And we would be thankful for the way in which you interact with us in those times. Father, we love you. And I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that has never received you as Lord and Savior. I don't don't care if they've gone to church their whole life or this is their second or third, fourth, fifth time in church. Doesn't matter if they read the Bible through or not. Doesn't matter if they've been baptized or not. Your word's very clear on this. There's only one way to salvation. It's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's receiving you and your gift of salvation by repenting of our sins, believing you died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. We confess, we repent, and we trust in you. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals salvation. I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know that, that has not personally received you as their Savior, that you would work in their heart. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd convict them of sin and righteousness as you do. And and I pray that you would open their hearts and minds to your word and to your love, that they would come to know you. Father, we need to be forgiven of our sin because if we don't receive forgiveness, we will pay for our sin in a place called hell. It's not a scare tactic, it's a reality. And I pray that you would affirm those things in our lives. Thank you, Father, for your word. I pray you'd seal it in our hearts and minds. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, really is an amazing chapter. Um, We're not going to get into this aspect of it, but if you've ever had somebody question you about the Trinity, you know, where does the Bible say the word Trinity? Where does the Bible talk about Trinity? I don't see the Trinity. There's a couple examples you can take them to. The baptism of Christ, 
Uh, you can see that obviously Jesus is there as the Son of God being baptized. The Holy Spirit is descending, and God the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We see the Trinity involved at the baptism of Christ. You also see the Trinity in Ephesians 1. It opens up with God's aspect of salvation, God's part in salvation. It moves through Jesus' part in salvation. And then when you get down through verses uh, 13, 14, it talks about the Holy Spirit's aspect or part in salvation. Here in just Ephesians 1, 1 through really 14, we see the Trinity represented in our salvation. And so while we're not going to spend our time dealing with the Trinity, I want to always say that because I feel like it gives us more affirmation to know what the Bible actually teaches us. But I want to focus in on verse 3. There's a key phrase here. It says that through Christ, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. All spiritual blessings. Not some, not partial, not if you perform, not if you do well, but through Christ, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. So how are we blessed in this way? Why are we blessed in this way? The reason is because he has chosen us in him due to his love for us. The reality is he really loves you and he really loves who you really are. Uh, Somebody, I think, needs to write that down. I feel like that's something we battle with. He really loves you, and he really loves you for who you really are. See, isn't it easy to kind of be someone else to gain someone's love? Can we be honest for a minute? Isn't that easy to do? Come on, you're like, not me, preacher. No, not me. You did not in junior high or high school pretend to be really into this band or that movie to get that guy or girl to like you? Really? Nobody did that? Bunch of liars, okay? Every guy in this room sat through romantic comedies when they were dating their girlfriend and they hoped it would turn into being a wife, okay? No man likes romantic comedies. No man does. It's, no, it doesn't happen. It's just, it's just a show. It's just pretend, okay? I do this so you like me. That's what it is, okay? No man likes or enjoys the Hallmark Channel, okay? It just doesn't happen. By the way, men, you're... you're wife today didn't really like sports all that much probably when she was dating you. Okay. She pretended she really didn't care about stats and scores and fantasy this and fantasy that she could care less. Okay. But she invested in you, right? Praise God. Okay. I always tell Sandra, she actually has started like in some sports, but I remember I used to, I watch a lot. I used to watch a lot of hockey and I still do some, but she hates hockey, hates hockey. She thinks hockey is the stupidest thing in the world. Now let me ask the men, men, what's the best part of hockey? Fights. There you go. Okay. That's the best part of hockey. It's like you go to a fight and a hockey game breaks out, right? You know the part she hates the most? The fights. Bunch of children out here hitting each other. What are they? That's so stupid. That has nothing to do with the game. Amen. See? Y'all thinking, he making this up. No, this is, this is truth. No, I, we joke about that stuff. Okay. Listen, let me just put it out there. Cause I'm probably going to get email. Okay, or a Facebook message. Some women do really love sports. Okay, I know today's day and age, you're like, I can't believe he said that. Did you hear him say that about me? I don't like sports. Okay, okay, you like sports. It's fine. Some men maybe like the Hallmark Channel. I don't know. Okay, I've never personally met one, but I, they could exist. I don't know. Okay, I won't ask any men to raise their hands because you may get stoned or something. You may get attacked from other men. Because if a man raises his hand and says, I like the Hallmark Channel, another man's wife goes, well, see, he likes the Hallmark Channel. Why don't you like the Hallmark Channel? Okay? When we understand this reality, many of us, if we're being honest, 
Many of us have entered into a relationship with someone and we thought, if I just perform at this level, if I, just, if I can just make this person think this is who I really am, then they'll really love me. They'll accept me. The reality of the freedom in Christ, here it is. He really loves you for who you really are, not for who you pretend to be for others, not how good you can clean up and come to church. Not how well you can quote a Bible verse. Not how well you can know the songs. Not how well you can say these real theological prayers or memorize the books of the Bible. All those things are fine. But God doesn't love you because of those things. God doesn't love you more because you go to church three times more than your neighbor. That's not how God works. God really loves you for who you really are. Why? Because he created you. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And he wants a relationship with you so badly that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, that your sins could be forgiven and you can have a relationship with him that would last for eternity. And that's how much he really loves you. He's also seen you at your very best and your very worst. God has seen you at your very best. Man, and we, we're all about putting out the best, right? Again, we want to put out that image. Oh, no, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're good. Everything's fine. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. And listen, he's seen you at your very best and he's seen you at your very worst. And he loves you and he knows you and he desires to grow you all because of his love for you. And why does he love us so much? Here's the reality. He loves you because he created you for relationship. He also loves you because in loving you, it glorifies him. In loving someone as unlovable as us, it glorifies him and his grace and his mercy. So here's the reality. If you're here this morning, and I, I know I've already said it a couple times in my prayer, but if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, going to church isn't going to make God accept you. Going to church isn't going to make God forgive you of your sins. Being a good person is not going to make God forgive you of your sins. Helping little old ladies and little old men across the street not going to make God forgive you for your sins. Getting baptized apart from relationship with Jesus Christ as an act of demonstrating your decision to follow Christ, he will not accept you and forgive you of your sins. See, the, the Bible says our good works. So good works is like, imagine the best 10 minutes of your life for God. So think of like the most selfless, sacrificial thing you've ever done in your life. I mean, the, the thing that you would say, man, this, if this doesn't get me in, I'm not getting in. That kind of a thing. And imagine putting that in a box and wrapping it up real pretty and putting a bow on it and bringing it to God the Father on the day of reckoning when you stand before him and you set it before him and you say, here you go. This is everything I've, this is the best I've ever done. And he opens it up and the smell of it makes him want to vomit. I mean, he actually just kind of has to stop himself from throwing up. And he cast it inside and said, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Depart from me. Because see, our good works apart from Christ are worthless. Because you know what your good works are? Still flawed, still broken, still full of sin. And that's why Jesus Christ came. That's why Jesus came. And I know, guys, listen, I know this is not a popular message to teach. I know this is not a popular gospel to preach, but that's okay because who cares if it's popular or not? If truth becomes unpopular, it doesn't become a lie. Truth, by definition, is exclusive. It's you can't say two plus two is four and two plus two is six. I mean, unless you maybe went to like Brown City Schools like I did, you could probably get away with that. It's true 
or it's not true. And Jesus being the only way to salvation is not my opinion. It's not the Baptist church opinion. It's not the Christian opinion. It's the Bible's truth message that Jesus is the only way. And guess what? If you know Christ, you are blessed to have that relationship. So again, why? Why all of this? Because it glorifies him. How are we blessed? How are we blessed? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, preacher, I could go on and on and on. That's good, because you're going to find out at the end of the message a little challenge I want to give you guys this week. But, but let's break this down real quick from Ephesians. And you guys know when I say real quick, what does that mean? Nothing. It means nothing. Okay. Ephesians 1, verse 4. The first thing we have to, and if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing we have to note is one of the greatest blessings is we have an eternal hope in Christ. We have an eternal hope in Christ. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. That word adoption is so key there. By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The reality is in Christ, we have a confidence in Christ, not in ourselves. When we stand before Christ one day as our judge, we will be holy and without blame, completely cleansed of our sin. Because we are his children, adopted for, the Bible says, his good pleasure. You know what that means? It pleases the Father to call you his son and daughter. It actually brings God joy to know, I'm in, Lance is my son. Lance Bishop is my son. And that brings him joy. Now, I know if Lance is like me, I'm thinking, why are you joyful about that? I bring you, I'm not bringing you nothing good. But man, it pleases him to know that you are his. It pleases him to adopt you into his family, to bring you into his family as sons and daughters. It actually brings him joy to know you as his son or daughter. It pleases him to cleanse you and to call you holy and without blame. Let's just be honest for a minute. Even as Christians, we feel the guilt and blame of our past sin, don't we? We sometimes feel like, man, God, I, I can't believe I did that. We say it on our Tuesday night recovery gathering often. Two of the things that people will say when they make those kind of choices is, I never thought I would ever do that, and I can't believe I did that. And that's how we feel going before God sometimes. God, I can't believe I did that. You don't have to carry that guilt anymore. Stop beating yourself up for past sins because it's under the blood. It's done. It's gone. By the way, your present sin, forgiven. Your future sin, you haven't even done yet, forgiven. Oh, preacher, does that mean I can sin as much as I want? No. Do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Romans 6 tells us that. But we take confidence to know that I don't earn or lose my salvation based on whether or not I can sin or not sin successfully. It's not about that. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has saved me. He keeps me. And I live for him to honor him and please him because he is my heavenly father. And we struggle sometimes in this life. But here's the reality. If you fall into sin, it does not change your final standing with Christ. Because you've been given his righteousness. It is not your righteousness. Now, again, when we sin, there are consequences of our sin. There, there are things that happen as a result of our sin. We suffer physical, emotional mental, financial consequences. If I sin as a good, as a steward, not a good steward, but a bad steward with my finances, guess what? There's consequences to that financially. 
If I sin in a way of violating uh, the relationship I have with someone in some way, I break that trust, I sin against them in some way, that relationship is affected. So we're not saying sin doesn't matter or sin doesn't affect anything. No, First John says, my little children, I encourage you, I ask you, sin not. That's our goal. But when I fall into sin, if I fall into sin as a follower of Christ, I do not lose my salvation because it's not my ability to not sin that keeps my salvation. Ephesians chapter 5, let's go over there real quick. You're already there in chapter 1. This is another emphasis of what Paul's starting the chapter or the book with. He kind of gets to the end of chapter 5 and he says this. Verse 27. So he says here, in Christ we are holy without blame. Verse 27, that he might, that Christ might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The church is the body of Christ. Those that have placed their faith and trust in Christ. That's what he's saying. Those that have received Christ as Savior, I will one day be presented by Christ to Christ and be holy, without blemish, without fault, without failure. You see, we have an eternal hope in Christ. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in Christ because he's the one that cleanses us and brings us before him holy and spotless. The word holy does not mean perfect this side of heaven. The word holy means wholly separated, completely separated from self unto Christ. And that's what he's doing in our lives. He's growing us into that relationship. So we have first blessing we want to talk about is we have an eternal confidence, an eternal hope in Christ. And that eternal life starts at salvation. That eternal life starts at salvation. We are already living our eternal life. That's a pretty crazy thought, isn't it? And that in Christ, I'm already living the eternal life. I'm already, Ephesians 1, in the heavenlies. That's what it means in verse 3 when he says, in heavenly places in Christ. I'm already spiritually in the heavenlies. I'm already with Christ in the heavenlies. I'm living the eternal life. When we step from this life, it merely continues on and on and on and on. The, the eternal life began at salvation, but it continues all the way through past death into eternity future. We do not live with only this temporal and temporary word and world in mind. But we live with eternity in mind. And man, that changes how we live this life. There is such freedom and peace in that reality. I am, we are in Christ, currently living the eternal life. Even death will not take it away. And can I encourage you with a couple of things? If, you're, if you already are living the eternal life, guess what? The decisions I make this side of heaven, I have eternity in mind. How I raise my children, I'm thinking about eternity. How I treat my wife or how a wife treats her husband, I'm thinking about eternity. How I interact with other people, I'm thinking about eternity. How frequently I share my faith for the glory of God, I'm thinking about my eternity. Because we get so wrapped up in this life. We get so wrapped up in building our kingdoms. We really do. And I'm just as susceptible of this as you are. We get so wrapped up in our schedules and our hobbies and our interests. But man, if we're living with eternity in mind, if we're living with a focus to say, the things I do for Christ will last for eternity. See, some of us, we're not even thinking past retirement, if we're being real honest. Some of you have invested more and thought more about your retirement than you ever have eternity. And the reality is, you'll retire and maybe live for another 20 years, 25 years. 
but you'll step from this life and eternity lasts forever. So where should you really be focused on investing your time and priorities? I'm not saying we don't invest for retirement. I'm not saying we don't plan for retirement. Of course we do. The Bible talks about saving and being wise. I'm saying as far as priority, man, eternity better have more of a weight in our heart and mind than the last 20 years of our life so we can just live as comfortably as possible. Let's be on fire for Christ because he has saved us and we have a confidence in him. So we are blessed with an eternal hope in Christ. Secondly, and quickly, again, not really. Some got that. Okay, listen back to it on the recording, you'll get it. Okay, number two. So first, we are blessed, obviously, with an eternal hope in Christ, but we are also blessed with an acceptance in Christ. An acceptance in Christ. Look at verse six of Ephesians one. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Man, there's a phrase. There's a, you could just spend hours unpacking that. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. See, this is an extension of our salvation, if you will. It's part of our salvation. It's a continuation, if you want to say it that way, of our salvation. You and I are already fully accepted in Christ. God is not holding his acceptance of you and I over the pit of performance. God is not holding his acceptance of you over the pit of performance. And if you just make it long enough and do good enough, then you'll be accepted. But if you mess up, I might have to let you go. But God is not doing that. He has already accepted us. And the key, we have to get this. This is where I think sometimes we get off a little bit. That God didn't accept you because you were so awesome and unable to not accept. Verse 6 makes it very clear. There's two key phrases. His grace... Right? Why am I accepted? Because of his grace. And then the last phrase, in the beloved. In the beloved. In Christ we are accepted. Not by our performance. This frees us from fighting for acceptance in this life. This frees us from fighting for acceptance in this life. Stop trying to see your worth from others' acceptance of you and your ability to perform. Stop thinking, if I can just be good enough, I can just be, they'll accept me. They'll finally love me. They'll, listen, stop. You're only going to stress yourself out and put a weight on yourself of expectation that you can never meet. Here's the reality. So many marriages do this and don't even stop to realize this. So many relationships do this. There are so many wives that are living under the fear of disappointing their husbands and husbands, their wives, that they strive and they fight for acceptance. If I could just do better, if I could just be better, just make sure that's happening. Some of you live at work this way. Some of you live in your relationships this way. Some of you parent this way. Some of you had parents who did not accept you for who you really were. And now, even as an adult, you're fighting for their acceptance. If they would just love me. I had somebody tell me recently that their parent actually told them that they were a mistake. They said, you know what? My parent, my mom told me actually that she wished she would have aborted me. And what do you do with that? It makes you want to have a conversation with that parent, don't it? But here's the reality. You know what I was able to tell this person? Man, listen, I know that hurts. I know that's not easy to hear, but you don't have to let that define who you are. Because you were formed in your mother's womb by the creator God with purpose. And this girl, this person accepted Christ. Not with me, I mean before this. You know, I was able to say, man, you're already accepted in the beloved. If your parent never accepts you, man, I know that hurts. 
And I know it's something we want and we want badly. But man, but God is so good. He's already accepted you. You don't have to fight for the acceptance of others. How freeing is that? And how freeing is the reality that I am secure in Christ in the beloved. They may never accept you, but Christ already has if you know him as Savior. The reality is, in Christ is the only way that we would be acceptable to God. I am in reality unacceptable in my sin and shame. Without Christ, I would stand before God guilty and unacceptable. But in Christ, Ephesians 5 talks about this again. I encourage you to read it. But, but it talks about this. Christ washes me. He cleanses me. And I am now an acceptable offering, a holy gift before God. So see, we are blessed with eternal security, eternal hope in Christ. We are blessed through Christ with his acceptance. We are accepted in Christ. And lastly, this morning, I want to encourage us that we are blessed with heavenly wisdom. We are blessed with a heavenly wisdom. We have security and a hope in Christ for all of eternity. We've been accepted in Christ and we are blessed with a heavenly wisdom in Christ. Ephesians 1, look at verses 15 through 18. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 18. And I love this. Paul writes with such heart for the church. He loves the church. He loves the believers. And listen to what Paul says. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints... Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he's saying, I pray for you guys. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote the, the, the letter to the church of Ephesus. The Apostle Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. He traveled about 10,000 miles up someone's life. Persecutor, missionary. That's amazing how God works. But, so Paul's praying for the church. So what we're going to read in 17 and 18 are his prayer. This is kind of what he's praying for the church, what he's asking God to do in the church Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And we're going to read verse 19 as well. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And that's a prayer. And you can, it, it goes on from there, but I want to focus on these two couple things here. We are blessed with a heavenly wisdom. Paul's prayer for the church is kind of twofold. If you had to summarize it, it's twofold. The first thing he asks is that our minds will be illuminated. Our minds would be open to the things of God. Our spiritual eyes would be open. We sang in the song, open up my eyes that I might see you more clearly. That's what Paul's praying. We don't want to just see Christ with a historical lens. We don't want to see Christ with just a, a literary lens. Okay, it's a literary figure. We know the Bible was written as, a, as an act of literature. We trust that. No, no, no. We want to see him as the son of God, as God himself. And so our eyes are being opened through Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit to see him more clearly. But also he emphasizes to grasp the power of God and how it's working in us. Verse 19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? So it's not just the power coming out of us through Christ. It's the power that saved us. It's the power that redeems us. It says here, according 
to the working of his mighty power. I believe God worked in saving us and by giving us his Holy Spirit, he is working through us and his power is on display. We grow in these areas of our faith, having our minds illuminated to the things of God and to grasp the power of God because we have the very mind of Christ at salvation. 1 Corinthians uh, 2.16, I'm just going to go there quickly. First uh, Corinthians 2.16, again, another letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, says this. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Paul's writing to the believers and he says, you have, we have the very mind of Christ. And that blessing will allow us to experience a couple things in our faith journeys. Because you have the mind of Christ, because God is illuminating your mind to understand more, and we're growing in the power of God, a couple of things that come out of this. And again, I try to say it every week, but I don't always do this. If you want a copy of my notes for your own personal study, I can give you all these notes, and you can have this for your own study. Uh, so all the verses will be in there and all that if you want to study this deeper. But I want to give you a couple things here that are results of, maybe we'll say fruits of having the mind of Christ. As we're growing in the power or the knowledge of the power of God, and our minds are illuminated. The first thing we see is that we're able to identify the temptations that come against us and resist them. When we have an understanding that we have the mind of Christ, our minds are being opened, our eyes are being opened, we understand the power of God, we can identify the temptations that come against us and resist them. We will not be unaware of the true nature and damage they cause. Isn't it a great blessing as your relationship with Christ is growing? that something will come into your life, maybe a temptation or a trial, whether to uh, just a struggle of everyday life or a temptation to sin. Maybe it's to think something you shouldn't think, to say something you shouldn't say, to watch something you shouldn't watch, whatever. And again, remember, that's not keeping us saved. Salvation in Christ, done and over with. Now we're living out this faith. But as temptations come into our life, sometimes we will sin in a way and we'll go, man, I didn't even know that that temptation would lead to this, this, and this. But because we have the mind of Christ, we can identify those temptations before they even attack us or as they're attacking us. And we can identify them and say, nope, that's a, that's a tactic of the enemy. I'm not going to give in to that. Nope, God, you've given me victory over that. And this is where quoting scripture comes into to play. Read Matthew chapter 4. What did Jesus do when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself? Again, we get this so confused in our culture. Satan and Jesus aren't like this. They're not equal. It's not like Satan's over here tempting Jesus and Jesus is unable to resist or unable to conquer Satan. Read the text. He allows the temptation to take place because at the end of it, Jesus looks at Satan and says, you got to go. That's my John paraphrase. Okay? Go. Time to go. Out. Okay? What I'm going to do to my kids at 18? Out. No, not really. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Maybe 19. Okay, so... But Jesus made the decision to end those temptations, by the way. He allowed Satan to tempt him. But every time Satan tempted him, Jesus just quoted scripture. If it's, if it's the son of God's tool that is, he uses to attack temptation, why do we think we need something other than the word of God? If the son of God quoted the word of God, by the way, Satan tries to quote the word of God in tempting him and Jesus corrects him. Oh, this is what it really says. See, Satan's all about twisting and perverting the truth. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's massive. But the, the reality is because Christ understands the damage of those temptations and what they look like, we have the mind of Christ given to us as a blessing of God 
so we can identify. We can recognize those temptations. They don't have to overcome us. But also, we have the wisdom to see the joy that exists in putting others ahead of ourselves. Jot it down for time's sake. We're not going to turn that over to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he talks in that passage about how Christ willingly submitted himself to the Father. Even though he's equal with God, he submitted himself to the Father and took on the form of a servant and served humanity because we needed him to. So here we see this idea. We can identify because we have the mind of Christ, these temptations that come into our life and avoid them, resist them and overcome them through Christ. And also we can put others ahead of ourselves and see the joy in doing that. See, I think a lot of us want to put others above ourselves, don't we? I think a lot of us would say, I I think even the average person who doesn't even know Christ or doesn't have a desire to know Christ, I think most people would say, yeah, I should care for my neighbor. I should, you know, when you're sitting at a traffic situation where, I don't know if many people didn't learn this, but you're sitting backed up, right? And there's a road that empties onto this road, okay? And it's backing up, okay? There's a simple rule. I call it the every other rule. This is what I learned, that if there's somebody waiting, a car goes ahead, you let one car in, you go ahead, one car in, okay? Anyone tracking with me? Okay? Most people would say, that's what I should do. I can tell you from a few years of driving experience, that's not what we do. We are like all of a sudden completely unaware. I will not look at them. They're not getting in. I have places to go. Don't look at me. Don't even try. Nope, the crying's not going to help. You're not getting in. I don't care how long you've been sitting here. I think most of us would say we should be kind. We should be loving. But here's the difference. As believers and followers of Christ, we see the greater joy in serving others. Why? Why do I, why do I as a follower of Christ see a greater joy in being kind to someone? Because I'm not just thinking about the moment that they are experiencing that blessing. I'm thinking, God, this is a, this is a work that glorifies you for all of eternity. Again, remember, eternal focus. It's not just, and it's great to be a blessing to someone just to be a blessing, but as a follower of Christ, we know this is hopefully something that's going to encourage them for eternity. It's going to lead to them coming to know Christ or being closer to Christ. See, we actually are able to see the joy that exists in putting others ahead of ourselves. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, well, I don't even put others above myself ever. I don't care to. Well, let me encourage you. If you are a follower of Christ, learn from the example of Christ. If he put you before his own wants and desires because he went to the cross for you and you claim to be a follower of Christ, then maybe we can exercise that same attitude or mind. Lastly, I want us to understand this with the mind of Christ and this idea that we have heavenly wisdom. We see all blessings as gifts from God. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I want to go over there just real quick. Uh, Again, you don't need to turn there, but I'm just going to read it for us. James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says this, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. As followers of Christ, with the mind of Christ, given the blessing of heavenly wisdom, we identify all blessings as gifts from God. Obviously, everyone can acknowledge the obvious blessings in this life. Childbirth, a new grandbaby, a good praise or a good answer to a health concern. Uh, we can all say, oh, those are blessings, those are blessings. But only the believer in this life truly sees and recognizes the blessings in both the good things as we define them as good and even the things we wouldn't consider good. 
Only the believer has been given the wisdom to identify all things we go through as blessings of God and see the good in them. Why can I say that? Romans chapter 8, God works all things to the good. Not the good of I define good as good, but to the good of making me like the image of Christ. See, I could say that because I have the mind of Christ. You and Christ have the mind of Christ. You have heavenly wisdom that reveals that to you. We see these blessings even in the small, mundane tasks of everyday life. This is something that we will find more and more prevalent in our thinking as we mature in Christ. We begin to exchange our worldly focus to a heavenly and blessed focused focus. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I ignore all the other stuff going on? No. But I can look at someone that's going through a tragedy and say, man, I'll pray for you. I'm with you. I'm here for you. And I don't know how, but I know God is going to get you through this for his glory. See, we see the blessings in all things. We see the blessings in the little things. It was really cool. Can I tell him about what your child was doing when you were singing, practicing up here? Is that okay? Okay. I ask in front of everybody, and he's going to be like, yeah. That was kind of silly, right? Because he's not going to say no. I guess he could say no. He's pretty big. Uh, he probably beat me up. But it was so cool. Listen, if you were in here for a sound check, uh, Andrew was singing, and <laughs> there, his son was up here just going to town, boy, singing at the top of his lungs. Well, I think it was singing. I really couldn't discern the, the wording of it. But, but, man, just having a great time just singing with his dad. How cool is that? Like, I was about to like, that is an awesome thing. I, I mean, I see him singing one day on the stage. Obviously, he's already going to be in the praise band. Write that down. Um, roping him in. Where's Keith and Renee? Okay, it's, it's locked in. He's good, okay? I think seven's probably good to get him in the praise band. Eight, somewhere in there, yeah. I mean, if Josiah can reign as king in the Old Testament at seven, then he can pray in the praise band. So when you see that, I, but that's what I'm getting at. When, man, I was standing back there and I was like, God, you're so good. Do you know what's happening right there in that moment? You might think, oh, it's just a kid having fun with his dad and just, no, 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 no. He's getting heritage passed down to him of faith. He's getting serving in the church passed down to him as an example from his father. That's something that we go back and go, man, God, you're blessing in so many ways. Why do I not pay attention to these things? Think of it this way. If we paid attention to the blessings as much as we do the negative stuff in the world, we'd be really aware of what God is doing. And if we just spent half the time thanking him as we do, praying for him to fix this or that in my life, we'd be overly blessed in the presence of God. So I want to challenge all of us to do something this week. And the reality is we usually wait until November to start doing or thinking things like this. But I want to encourage you to be a little bit of a rebel. We're going to start it early, okay? You don't have to wait till November to be thankful, by the way. I would like you to create a list. I want everyone to do this, Okay? even the kids that are in here, I want you to create a list of all the blessings that God has blessed you with in your life. Now, here's the catch. You're like, oh, pastor, that was so 2014. Like, we've done that so many times. Everybody gets on Facebook, right? Like, all through, you know, November, they'll post things, which is great. Man, I actually can't wait for, for that season because I'm, I'm looking forward to social media being enjoyable again. Um, when it's like people saying, I'm thanking God for this and I'm thanking God for that. I'm, I'm like, oh, finally a little respite from all the other stuff going on. But when you think about this, here's the difference. Here's what I want you to do. It's a little bit different. Don't just list what your, thank, what your blessing is. But I want you to actually write down and identify how God can or is glorified in that blessing. So track with me. God, you're blessing me this way. And here's how you are or will be glorified in that blessing. 
This way we aren't merely being thankful for something, quote, good in our lives. We are truly using it as a moment to pause and praise. An example would be something like this. God has blessed me with the gift of prayer. Now, you guys can use this as your first one. That's fine. I'm not going to, you know, grade you or anything. It's just for you to do. God has blessed me with the gift of prayer. He is glorified in prayer because I am showing my dependence on him and trusting him to do what only he can do. And we're just filling it out. We're just filling out the, the praise. God, you've blessed me with prayer. And then we stop and go, okay, but God, why have you blessed me with prayer? How are you glorified in this? How are you praised in this? Because I think we can really fill out this list of thankfulness. And here's the thing. It's not about creating the biggest list. It's not about putting as much on the list as you can. It's about spending every single day just reflecting on the goodness of God and saying, okay, today I'm going to write down this blessing and today I'm going to write down that blessing and tomorrow it's this one. And then we just stop and we just pause and we just praise. And I'm promising you this. If you do this consistently while in prayer and in God's word, in 30 days or less, you will have a different, a different peace about you. You will find your worries will be lifted to some degree. They're not all going to go away. That's not going to happen. You'll find yourself maybe not as stressed as you are right now or could be. Because I'm telling you, when we start getting into God's word, and we start letting this be the foundation for my life, not just for my salvation, but everyday life, man, you'll see the peace and joy of God begin to fill. And again, does that mean all the trials will go away, all the struggles will go? Nope. They'll still be there. We live in a fallen world with fallen man who sins against us and others. We're not, we're, we will not fix the world. You growing closer to Christ will not fix everything. Okay? We, we, we buy this lie that we think, if I just prayed more, then everything will be perfect. Everything will work out. And that preaches in some places that just do that and you'll get the raise, you'll get the guy, you'll get the girl, you'll get the promotion, you'll get this, you'll get the house and the car. I hate to tell you, it's not in the book. Hebrews 11 says that those that were, that were unworthy of being in this world, that, that others didn't understand the worth and the value in God's eyes, said they, were, they wandered aimlessly in caves and dens. They were afflicted and persecuted, but yet the Bible says the world was not worthy of them. See, it's not about the stuff that we collect that is the blessing of God. Notice that these blessings have nothing to do with the stuff. Does God bless with stuff? Sure. He blesses financially. He blesses physically with homes and all those kind of things. He blesses in family. It's all good. But that's not the core of the blessing. I don't praise God because he is the blesser of me. I praise God because he is worthy of all praise. And it just so happens he chooses to bless me. And so here's what I want to do. Put that list together. Work on that this week and allow God to encourage your heart and mind through that. I want to share one thing and then we're going to pray. One more thing. I mentioned before that as I was preparing to get into the message and everything that God really was sharing, you need to be blessed. You need to be focused on being blessed and how that looks and praising God in that way. And I got some news that wasn't good news. That hasn't changed. It's not gone away, but I know God is with me in that and with Sandra and I in that. And it's, again, it's nothing life or death. Some of you are like, there's no health concerns, nothing like that. It's just something that we were hoping would go a different way. But not less than two days later, I took my stepdad, who many of you know was diagnosed with cancer uh, back in May. And I took him to his appointment on Thursday and he got one of his like final checks from his specialist, the radiologist and stuff. And they said, everything looks great. Looks like it's, it's going well. He's got a PET scan the end of November 
And I've already predetermined, like, it doesn't matter what the PET scan says, God is good. And so, isn't it amazing how in one week, guys, it's like, oh, that's really not the news I wanted to hear. Man, God, thank you for being so good. And what we do, though, is we get so hung up on the bad news that the good news isn't even as good. Well, yeah, God, that's a great praise, but what about this? Man, we sound a lot more like the Israelites whining and complaining in the wilderness that we do followers of Christ who are thankful for eternal life. And I'm not saying we don't go to him and say, God, I don't get it. God, I'm upset. God, I'm angry. No, you go to him and you vent and you say whatever's on your heart and mind because he already knows he wants to hear it from you. But in the same vein, let's remember he's not off his throne. He's not forgotten you. He'll never forsake you. And if you're in Christ, he will always be with you. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace and love in our lives. And Lord, we know that your goodness is beyond match. But Lord, we do know that this world is full of discouragement at times, different things that happen around us, stress and trials and struggles. Other people sin against us in ways, Lord, that affect us. I pray, Lord, that we would know that we can come before you. We can cry out to you and lay it at your feet. And we can ask you to work as only you can. Father, you may do different than what we would like. Because again, God, we can pray for you to change the situation or to work in someone's heart and mind, but that person has to make a choice. That person has to choose to submit to you. And so, Lord, we're just praying and asking that when we go through trials and struggles, as we see things happening around us, that we would not forget that you are good and that you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Not in me, not in my goodness or my performance, but in Christ. Father, may you be glorified and all that has been said and done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we are led in a song of invitation? We invite you to come and pray. If you're going through something right now where you're just having a hard time seeing the blessings of God, maybe you want to come and bend a knee just by yourself or with someone else, a family member, friend, whatever, and just say, Lord, I want to be reminded of your goodness this morning. Show me that you are good by reminding me that you've already been good. And so whatever God is doing, Whatever God is leading you to do, maybe you would respond to him this morning as we sing a song of invitation and just respond to what God is doing.